You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Colt Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the regular host of this podcast. And this week, have the opportunity to talk with Dodds Pangra, who's a pastor at Sojourn Heights, about Psalm 137, uh, which is certainly among the most difficult psalms in the Psalter for us to to fully grasp. And really, upon first reading, it, it leaves me uncomfortable um, and, and almost that it encourages me um, toward things that, that I feel are out of line with the character of God. Um, but I, I believe that in this conversation with Dodds, uh, Dodds will shed some light and some clarity into how we can faithfully pray this psalm and some of the historical context and imagery in the psalm uh, that really makes it uh, turn from something that is uncomfortable to something that is a beautiful comfort, um, I believe, for the whole church. And so I hope this conversation is a blessing to you. Hey, Dodds. Hey, Cole. Well, good to have you. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, thank you for, for coming on. Um, I won't, I'll I'll spare you the, uh, the introductory questions that I asked first time guests since I've had you on before. Um, but, uh, but it's good to have you. I'm glad that, that you chose to, to join us and especially in light of the Psalm, uh, that we're going to discuss. I think that, that your insight will be particularly helpful. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. It's it, just like you were saying, Cole, uh, Psalm 137, after even if, you know, two or three readings, we're, we're kind of, maybe we're, we're happy to just say, you know what, let's go from Psalm 136, where his steadfast love endures forever, and let's move on to giving thanks to the Lord in, in, in Psalm 138. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, uh, uh, it's it, this is such an, an important psalm, and um you know, a psalm of of exile and lament, and a psalm of, of imprecation. And I and I do hope that in our conversation today, just the, you know our our engagement with this particular psalm and other psalms, uh, other imprecatory psalms that call um, really for God to to avenge, uh, to to really imprecatory psalms that call curses down upon uh, God's enemies, um, that we would be able to engage these psalms in a way where um, uh, where it, it, it really kind of opens up our prayer, uh, our prayer and communion with God and, and our engagement with, uh, to live as kingdom come people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I hope it's, I hope it's, it's just encouraging and that we can wield this psalm as if it's a, um, you know, as if it's a, a true uh, scalpel and pen in our hands, and we can we can it will encourage uh, fruitful and good prayers um, uh, that 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 do that that call for the kingdom, that cry for the kingdom to come more and more uh, in into focus in in our in our lifetime and in our in our neighborhoods and homes and relationships. So, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, before I ask you to read Psalm 137, there's a word that you've used uh, a few times that 
I'm going to ask you to just kind of give a definition and an understanding of what it means. And that's imprecation or imprecatory. So when you refer to an imprecatory Psalm, what does that mean for our listeners at home? And, and why, why is that important as we study the Psalms? Yeah. Well, imprecatory, it's definitely not a, a word that we, that we use very often, but it really, the, the word itself to, to imprecate means to, to invoke a curse upon it's calling down a curse upon it's it, it just like it says here, like the psalmist says, like, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's calling upon God's, uh, particular vengeance, his judgment uh, against those who oppose him, against those whom the psalmist and his people have been hurt by. Um, and it's, you know, if we consider the fact that the that the psalms really do give expression and guidance to all of our thoughts and feelings, um, it, it does include, it includes our lament, as uh, obviously as the first part of the psalm does, but it also includes our our anger, our uh, really even righteous anger, um, and uh, and it's again that is something that we are wrestling with um, because this psalm doesn't just tell us an imprecatory psalm doesn't just tell us oh yeah it's it's fine to be to be sort of unrelentingly wrathful in your prayers that's <laughs> yeah. not we are we are definitely a people who are characterized we need to be characterized by blessing um, but there but still um, uh, this is you know the, the the road to understanding the imprecatory psalms we we can fall on one side of it and and be too uncomfortable and sort of reject them as unrighteous prayers yeah um but then we can fall on the other side and we can use them as just expressions of personal vengeance right yeah um, but either either side of that can be just a, a, we're rooting ourselves in arrogance or pride um and i do think as we as we talk a little bit more about this psalm in particular, we can find kind of the, the particular uh, invitation to pray this imprecatorily anyway, um, but in a way that is still angled towards um, God's, uh, God as the, um, as the righteous judge and, and we as the people who uh, pray for the, um, but truly the, 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 the transformation of our enemies, yeah. um, the transformation of God's enemies. So, yeah, that, that's helpful. I think that I look forward to talking a little bit more about how it is that we can faithfully pray curse upon, um, upon our enemies or even neighbors. Um, it, it because mm. it, it seems, I, I think that for most people who grew up in the church, that will feel a, a foreign concept. And, and I love that you hit on that, that on one side, we will just, we will view these Psalms as almost unholy, that we will reject them as, as the yeah. word of God. And, and we don't have the license or the ability to do that. Um, but then on the other side, which I was telling you before we started recording, which is where I'm tempted to fall is, is toward kind of this unrelenting wrath where in, in the sight of wickedness, um, the, the, the darkness in me, my, my sin patterns kind of lead to me wanting full destruction 
for my enemies. You know, I don't want, um, I don't want to pray kindness uh, toward my enemies, which is very much in line with the the person and work of Christ. But I want to just pray destruction, and so, um, and so I, I look forward to to those kind of finding the right and proper. I won't even say middle ground because I don't think it's a compromise. I think it's just a third way that's better. Um, yeah. But but with that being said, would you read through the psalm and then we can discuss it a little more? Absolutely. Let's start. Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem... Let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Well, thanks for, thanks for reading that for us. Um, all right. To, to start kind of discussing the Psalm more specifically, um, mm. I'm going to ask two things. And that's first that you, you kind of provide just kind of an overview or outline of the Psalm. Um, a, a brief understanding of what's going on, just uh, kind of um, make comment on, on the poetry because hearing poetry over a podcast mm-hmm. is sometimes hard to, to immediately decipher what's going on. So tell us what's going on in the psalm. And then if you could provide some, some context for the psalm because this is coming out of a specific historical moment for the people of Israel. And, and so if yeah. you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, contextually, we, we see the, the psalmist reflecting on the time when, when Judeans lived by the rivers of Babylon. They were exiles grieving over the judgment that Babylon had brought upon them. Um, and in these, you know, in these first six verses, we really see like this really tearful, sad, hope, hopeless picture of 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 these God's people in a foreign land, removed from their beloved city, they speak so so you know Jerusalem. It, it's above my highest joy. You know, like it's like I have a highest joy, and Jerusalem is even more than that. Um, you know, this remembering of Zion, the place where God and His people dwelt together. They're, this is where they're removed from. This is where they're far from. They're, um, and it's it it is. It's just a incredibly tearful picture. Um, and interestingly enough, we we do know that life in Babylon was good. Um, I mean, in, in the way of there were the Tigris and Euphrates rivers were right there. They were very close by. There were regular harvests that the Babylonians 
enjoyed. It was part of the rhythm of their life. So they're living in a fruitful land. With Within the first couple of verses here, we see that it's a land with rivers and trees, mm-hmm. um, which is a picture right in front of them of what Israel was supposed to be, what, what life with God was supposed to be like. I wonder how much more painful this, you know, for the psalmist, it, you know, he's, he's using this picture of, it's like we were staring at what we were supposed to be and we weren't in our home. Mm. Um, has God left us? Have we been, you know, abandoned? Um, and so, you know, just the idea of sitting down and weeping, the position of the Judeans, um, the willows there, um, are, you know, the, the word is poplar, so, you know, trees, and um, and being you know being asked to sing songs of joy, of mirth, of laughter and celebration, and it's you know it's a picture of like we've we've hung up our we, we don't sing songs anymore. Yeah, not, not in this exile. We're we're only lamenting um, our tormentors, our captors. Um, now, and we could we could you know we could kind of read the you know we could read it a, a particular way. Are the tormentors saying? You know, sing us a song of of Zion, like in kind of a mocking way. Is mm-hmm. it like, oh, come on, guys? You know, sing us one of your great songs, or is it, or or are the Babylonians enjoying, you know, their fruitful land with these with these you know captives and just saying, hey, why don't you why don't you sing one of the one of the great songs of your God? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't know necessarily the characteristic there, but anyway, all that to say, um, you know. But in response, they say, "How how can we do that? Um, like if I if I forget my highest joy, like I might as well never play again. Yeah. If I if I, if I'm separated from the Lord, like what does it matter if I can play the guitar or the you know? I'd rather I'd rather my my tongue be stuck to the roof of my mouth where I can't form syllables or sing ever again. If uh, if I forget." Um, this the wonderful city where I knew my God, where I knew th- this is how this is how awful it is to be exiled from from our God to be far. Um, yeah, and but then in verse seven it turns, and so we all of a sudden we see the psalmist saying, "Lord, I, I we put all of this in your hands. Avenge us." repay to our captors and our tormentors what they have done to us. And then of course in verses eight and nine, just this, these are the verses that make this like, (laughs) this is where it gets challenging. And we say, okay, maybe we should cut off verses eight and nine. Can't pray those. We can't say those, but the psalmist does. He calls upon God to, to, to judge. He calls the judge down from his judgment seat to enact vengeance mm-hmm. on behalf of his people to whom he's made promises. And uh, like, like it says there, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, Babylon and dashes them against the rock. Okay. Yeah. That, that's where it gets really difficult for us. Um, yeah. 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 Before we, before we touch on that, because I think that will probably be the majority of our conversation from here on out. Yes. Um, just, I think that it might be hard for someone who is a little less familiar uh, with the history of Israel or the Old Testament in general to understand 
why the Israelites would be so despairing about being removed from their homeland. Um, oh, yeah. Because, because really, the history shows that life in Babylon for the Israelites or, or the Judeans, it wasn't so bad, you know? And so yeah. there's, this, <laughs> there's this question of, like, why, why are they so despairing? And, and I think it's important to note that, that the identity of the people of Israel and Judah— was deeply linked to the land, you know, it, and it has yes. been throughout the entire history uh, of of their people going back to Adam, right? Who's exiled from the garden, you mm. know, cast out into the wilderness, and then the promise given to Abraham that what that God will take him to a land that He will show him and establish him there, and then there's the you know, all the story through Genesis and then the Exodus. And finally, the people are led by Joshua into the land and are experiencing this prosperity of a homeland that's flowing with milk and honey. And, and so to be removed from that is to be robbed of identity. And so that, I think that's why it's so important to, it's not just that they were homesick. It's that they, it's that they no longer felt like, like they were who they were. It makes me think, and this might sound silly, but it makes me think of, in my opinion, the greatest rock band of all time, Led Zeppelin. And when their drummer, John Bonham, died, they stopped. They never played again as Led Zeppelin. They never recorded again. They never toured again because, because they weren't Led Zeppelin without him. You know, sure, they could have found another talented drummer who could have learned the songs and they could have played the songs and made a lot of money touring, but, but their identity was so linked in the particular musicians that made them up that to lose one of them was, was to lose the whole thing. And, and that is how it was for Israel in the land or Judah in the land, is that to be removed from Jerusalem, the place where the temple was and, and God's presence dwelt, to be removed from that was to no longer be who they thought they were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think you said it perfectly. It's, it, it is, but it's not just where we are, it's who we are. Right. Um, and to be, to be in exile was, who, who are we anymore? If we're not in Zion, if we are not in Jerusalem, if the presence of God is not there, if we're not, as you said, in the land, if we have not returned to the place of shalom, then everywhere else is chaos. Everywhere else is hopeless. Um, right. Even if there's a harvest. Deep, how deeply. Yeah. Even if so, it's like, great, there's rivers. Great, there's trees. Great, there's harvest. Great. We're being asked to sing evangelistic songs of Zion. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we are outside the land and outside the presence of God. Yeah. I can only, I can't, I, it's unfathomable to, to, to try to wrap our heads completely around what they would have been feeling and the kind of lament that this would have, gosh, that this would have provoked. Yeah. And so then that sort of lament leads to the anger that we see in the final three verses. Oh, and I, I, you know, it makes me just think about how often it is when something so awful to us happens 
that almost just disarms us into crying uh, just almost immediately have you ever you ever had that moment where something so painful happened that you just immediately went into tears yeah and after that after that initial that there was a an, an, an a deep seething anger that that came out of that so yeah just yeah. the progression there is not is not hard to to believe it's not like we go well gosh how did they get to anger out of the sadness it's like oh i think we've i think we have if we have if we have suffered some great injustice that brought us to tears anger became a a, a another bedfellow quickly after the you know after or along with it yeah and and i think that's really well said because it is the natural progression of of an individual or a people group to say like, mm. like our lot is so, f- so horrible that w- we're full of sorrow and we'll weep. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as our tears are beginning to dry, we will say, you did this to me. Oh man! You know, <laughs> you did this to me and you deserve whatever it is. And, and that's very much what the people of Israel are doing or, or the psalmist is doing. He's saying, he's saying, okay, this is horrible. And then he says, remember, Lord, what they did to us? And, and you, you have to avenge us because, yeah. because what yeah. they've done is so bad. And, and so with mm-hmm. that being said, what do we do as Christians with, O oh, daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Yeah. Like, is yeah, that just I an believe. overflow of anger or is that like a faithful prayer? Yeah. And I do think, um, I, I think we lean into the fact that God in the Psalms has given us a, a has given us truly 150 examples of how to pray to him. So we really have been given, um, uh, while, while we, (laughs) while we ourselves may not necessarily ask for God to remember the Edomites are in this day and age, we will definitely ask him to, in light of where we feel like the, the enemies of God or our own enemies have, uh, done such great injustice to us or great injustices in the world. Um, this is an, this is a, an example of how we can pray in, in our lament and anger. Um, we don't have to take the first half of this and say, well, we are a lamenting people and we are not a people of anger. Um, so seven through nine don't apply or eight and nine don't apply. But we have to remember that our, our God, one of the things that he says is, is I'm a, I'm a God who is slow to anger. That's, that's his part of his nom de plume is I'm a God who gets angry. I just am not, I, I have a patient anger. Mm. So I do think that we're leaning into the fact that the Psalms are examples of how we can pray to God. So we, we do have to lean into what, the Bible says are appropriate prayers. <laughs> we have to say, okay, it's not just it's not just a simple. Well, it's in the Bible; it's true. It's more. We, we we can go deeper than that and say, God has given us words to use to engage Him when we're angry. So here we are in Psalm one thirty seven. Um, I do think um, 
and I'm I'm taking this from from James Jordan. Uh, he he says that because um, as we see here, what what the psalmist is doing is he's calling upon God to be the judge. Yeah, he, he's calling upon, like you said, he's calling upon God to be the avenger, and uh, the way that that James Jordan puts it is that God's judgment comes in two forms. Um, one form is judgment unto unto utter destruction, but the other form is judgment unto resurrection. Um, and so I, I think the it, it really here, um, I think it's good for us to to remember that, it, and good for us to see that the psalmist is calling upon God to bring to bring destruction. Um, but in this, uh, and we're going to read this not not with. I mean, we're going to read this and by by leaning into the entire canon of Scripture by remembering, um, particularly in verse nine, um, uh, of what it means to be dashed against the rock. Mm. Um, I know that at first reading, what we can read there is okay. So we need to take the offspring, the, the way that we're going to destroy Babylon is, or the way we're asking God to destroy Babylon and Edom is to take their children and to throw them against the rocks so that they, so that they will come to an end. But I, I think uh, what's truly what is, um, and again, this is an, what we're doing is we're, 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 we're looking at what uh, the rock means here because the rock here is a singular rock. Um, and so in, in terms of, um, uh, and I think really understanding the, this prophecy against Babylon is to, uh, to remember that the rock here is, is God. Dashing the children's heads against the rock is is not an image of utter destruction, but of salvation. Yeah, it, it is the psalmist praying that, <clears throat> Lord, destroy your enemies in a way that it leads to their resurrection. Strip Babylon of its arrogance, strip it of its pride. Da- dash the children uh, against the rock. Um, so that what happens is their their death happens, but it's a death that leads to resurrection, where they come to know the God of Zion, where they come to know the God of Israel. They come to know the God of Jacob, um, and uh, and really, um, what we can see here is either a man falls upon the rock and is saved, or the man or the rock falls on 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 him and it crushes him. That's from Luke from Luke chapter 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and with yeah. this call toward the destruction of Babylon there, really the theme that, uh, of recreation that's introduced to us in, in the Hebrew Bible and that continues throughout the entire new Testament is that, is that eventually all of all of the nations of the world will will be destroyed, and only Israel, with Jerusalem at the center, will remain. And mm-hmm. and that you know that is that is what Revelation tells us. You know the the finality of things looks like is that is that all that is left is a new Israel with a new Jerusalem, and 
you know, it's easy to read that, especially in the historical context of Israel being in exile in Babylon and, and really angry and sad, that, that the thought is that Babylon would be, be vanquished through death or genocide, right? Like, let's take mm-hmm. all their little ones and right. kill them, right? And, and yes. Israel is not unfamiliar with those sorts of plans. You know, that's what, you know, was happening to them in Egypt. Um, and, and so it's easy to imagine that that is the thought. And even if it was maybe the baseline thought of the psalmist, um, the story of redemption in the scripture shows us that that there is a an even more glorious possibility for Babylon, which you're hinting at, right? That the resurrection yeah. of Babylon, that Babylon as we know it, would be destroyed, so that a new a new a new nation might emerge that's more glorious, right? So that the children yes. might not inherit only death. But also new life, right? That that the covenant would be for their children, um, and and I think I think that's helpful, especially as we as we think about okay, how do we pray these sorts of prayers as as Christians? You know, living in a post resurrection moment in history. What does it mean for me to look upon? my neighbors or enemies of the church or, or just those who take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable, what does it look like for me to pray curse upon them? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it's, you know, just in your explanation of that, it's, you know, it's got me uh, thinking about like, wow, like it, 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 to pray for our enemies means that in a way we're doing just what the psalmist is doing here. We're saying, Lord, you know what happened with the Edomites. You know what they said. You know how they came and destroyed. You know what happened to Babylon. You know that we're here now. You know who is exploiting people in the world. Lord, here we live, you know, for us, you, me, Cole, here we live in Houston, Texas. Um, but Lord, we know that there are there is there are all kind of wicked men and women in in the world who are exploiting other people. Who are um, there? There are captives who have no advocate. There are uh, ruthless men and women who stand over and lord over other people uh, for their really to whether to line their own pockets or to satiate their own bloodthirst. Lord, you know, mm. and so Lord, take. Take vengeance. Remember your promises to to look out for the orphan and the fatherless and the foreigner. Lord, take up the sword because we trust you. We what we do is we pray and we say vengeance belongs to the Lord. Yeah, um, that's that's what we know to be true. Lord, we that's the reason that David didn't kill Saul. Right. It's because he said, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to take the throne. I'm going to wait for the Lord to give me the throne. The Lord is the one who 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 picks up the sword. I, 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 I don't. Um, yeah. And so what that means, I think, for us practically in praying is that we we just like the psalmist here get to say, Lord, I entrust the en- your enemies. I entrust their end to you. Mm. And what I pray for is that you will bring your your true enemies either you will bring your true enemies under your foot and make them 
really bring them under your feet subject to Christ or that you would bring destruction to them and that you would <laughs> you would kill them in order to resurrect them right yeah and so that I, that's really helpful and that's where where the cross and the resurrection really come into our understanding yes. of Psalm 137 especially as we look at you know, t- blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And, and, <laughs> and all throughout the scriptures, the rock is God. And, and the author of Hebrews makes it clear that, that even the rock from which water sprang forth in the wilderness in Exodus, that that was Christ, that Christ yes. has always been the rock. Um, and so to pray that, that our enemies are, are dashed against the rock is that they're, they're dashed against the king of the universe. But, but what is even more beautiful is, is that God, in light of the wickedness of the world, has taken his little one and allowed him to be dashed against the rock. Right? Yes. Like that Christ suffered the lot that the Babylonians deserved so that being dashed against the rock for the Babylonians might lead to resurrection, might lead to something yeah. more beautiful. And, and it's always helpful for me to think about the justice of God and how there's, there's two possible outcomes when we pray for God to do justice or for him to do vengeance. And it's that, is that the, the sinner would be utterly destroyed by the wrath of God mm-hmm. or or that the sinners, the sinner would be utterly destroyed by the wrath of God as carried out upon Christ on the cross and therefore made a friend. And so either the yes. enemies of God can be destroyed, which makes the world and the universe a more glorious place, or the enemies of God can become his friends through Christ, which makes the world a more glorious place. And so either way, the wickedness is gone. Right, because yeah, because we were once those who were enemies of God. Right, Paul makes that clear, and mm. and yet through Christ he has called us his friends, and 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 what the scriptures tell us is that makes the universe better. It makes it more glorious. That no more are we enemies to God, taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable and in, in pursuing selfish desires, but we are the slaves to righteousness, sons and daughters of God, and, and pursuing the interests of his kingdom. And yeah. that our former selves, which were wicked, have been dashed against the rock and are no more. And that new versions have emerged. And so, and so I could pray for my friend who might be walking in in utter destruction for himself and for others. Um, and I could, yes. I could pray, Lord, would you, would you bring him to nothing? Right. Would you, yeah. would you do your justice upon his life where he has laid to ruin his own life and the lives of others? Would you lay him to ruin with yeah. the end being that a new man emerges through faith in Christ and, and would become a friend of God, not just that he would, you know, you know, be left alone and pitiful or even dead, but that he would be redeemed through the justice of God as played out on the cross. Yeah. 
yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it, it's perfect and, and beautiful. Exactly what you're describing. Like this, the way you just described, that is how this Psalm encourages us to pray. And so we need not neglect this at all. I mean, we're even seeing in this Psalm that Jerusalem was destroyed Babylon is will be destroyed, but both Jerusalem and Babylon will not be destroyed to their utter ruin. They will be destroyed in the way that leads them both to repentance. Yeah. It's the destruction where people are saved, even if they lose their cities, even if they lose their rivers and their trees and their lyres and their tongues, all of that, it will not matter if it leads to repentance. We will still sing one day a happy day in the new the new jerusalem because it was these events that provoked repentance mm. so lord throw us against the rock we could even pray that for ourselves yeah lord there's still there's still an old man an old woman you know in us yeah. that needs to be dashed against the rock lord do Daily. it again yeah do it to me like really like bring me to a place of repentance and resurrection and and so if that comes through a million deaths over the course of my lifetime i know that you're a god who brings resurrection out of death so don't utterly ruin me unless it's to the point of repentance right and there so that means like gosh we can pray for everyone we can pray for the enemy within the enemy without yeah we can pray just like you were saying god lord bring my neighbor bring my coworker bring my Goodness, for those who are, are married to non-Christians, Lord, bring my husband, bring my wife to a place, really ruin them in a way where all, where only you will do, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, it, it just expands the, the use of this psalm so, so incredibly. Yeah. And, and I think that, that if, if we go back to the concept of the land and being in Babylon and being away from Jerusalem where the presence of God dwells, like... There is a beautiful symbolism there for, you know, you know, thinking of the example of someone whose spouse is a non-Christian, that, that their spouse is, is living existentially in Babylon, away from the presence and, and union with God. And so to pray for their destruction is to pray ultimately that they would, they would become a place uh, where where God where God reigns and dwells rather than a place that is devoid of Him, and and it I think kind of to close, it, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I'll have a month or so where just kind of the same passage in Scripture will just kind of show up over and over, and and will particularly like it will just be obvious to me in a way that that's unique and. And over the last month, for me, that has been the parable of, of buried treasure in which you know, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man uh, who, who discovered buried treasure in a field, and then he went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field. And so when we pray for destruction upon people, what we're praying is that they would be able to come to a place where they would sell everything they have in order to take hold of the treasure that everything that that they formerly thought they had that was valuable, that, that God would show them that it's utterly worthless in comparison to the treasure of his kingdom and his son. Um, Mm. and, and that's just, 
it it totally redeems the way that that I would have prayed this this psalm probably apart from this conversation. Uh, I would have prayed it with anger and vengeance without the resurrection in mind. And so, thank you for for shedding some some gospel light um, on it because. Because maybe a part of the old man in me has died through this conversation, has been res- resurrected. Absolutely, no, I, I love it, Cole. It's, I mean, really, just talking to you about this is reinvigorating for my soul and um, reminding me again of, you know, I mean, gosh, of, of all the places where we, where we are asking this i mean even in the lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done it's it's saying lord your kingdom take over every other kingdom your Mm -hmm. will subdue every other will um subdue my will subdue the will of my neighbor and it just uh and we get to pray that way we get to beg god to remember his promises he will and we get to take like some real joy in in crying out in lament and even anger for god to to bring his enemies under his foot and to, and, and to make, and to make enemies friends, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's incredible. Incredible. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dodds. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Cole. Thanks so much.